Hello, everyone, and happy 71st. Do you know what that means, Rachel? I don't know. This is the 71st podcast we have done. Can you believe that? Well, I can believe it, but I also am very honored about it, too. Yeah, well, welcome to Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlisle. My co-host is Rachel Santizo. And, and I think we have to honor someone today. Okay. Okay, since it's our 71st podcast, we have a person who has communicated with me and she has watched or listened to every single of the 71, well, 70 up till today podcasts. And you know her, her name is Susan Peterson who runs the Sobriety Foundation. Oh, thank you so much. What a great organization. And, and um, it's an honor to be able to honor her as well. Right. And, and you and I were both at their gala a couple of years ago. And, and just for you who don't know, thank you for watching or listening, Susan. Uh, the Sobriety Foundation provides funding so that people in recovery can live in transitional sober living housing. Uh, and, and, and that's such a necessary aspect of recovery for a lot of people. And since we're plugging things, tell us what you have on your shirt today. Well, today I am representing USARA. It stands for Utah Support Advocates for Recovery Awareness. And what I like to refer to them as is basically the recovery hub in Utah. They can help you with anything that you need. So if you have questions, anything regarding recovery, just contact them and they can help you. And what's even better is it's free. Absolutely. Good point there. Yes. Uh, and they'll provide, I think one of the most significant things they do is they'll provide you with a peer recovery coach uh, for free. Uh, and, and you can also go to USARA uh, if you're high, if you're still using, or if you're trying to get sober, or if you're sober. So basically anyone, right? Exactly. <laughs> All right. Now that we, oh, and I, we should say that, that um, Odyssey House Journals is available for viewing on YouTube and then for listening on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, any place where good podcasts are. And we're one of the most listened and watched to podcasts about recovery anywhere in our area. So thank you if you're joining in. You have a guest today. I do. So my word for today is going to be strong because this female has shown strength throughout her journey and it's been an honor to watch her. And without further ado, I would love to introduce Tori Dixon. Come on down, Tori. Hi, Tori. Hey. Hi, guys. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Thank you. How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing well. Are you, are you nervous about doing this, Tori? Just a little bit. <laughs> okay, well, that, that's good. So just briefly, if you can tell us your story, uh, where you've been, what you've done, and where, you're, yeah. and, and where you are now. Yeah, so, um, so I'm uh, an ex-heroin addict, but how I got started, you know, into that lifestyle, um, I grew up with a single father. 
Um, I always rebuilt in my life um, because I was like everybody else. We didn't have a lot of money. We were on social security. My dad, you know, hurt his back, you know, working and stuff. So I wasn't like other people. I wasn't in the popular crowd. I didn't have a mom and a dad. You know, I didn't live in the suburbs. I, my life wasn't like that. And I started rebelling against it. And um, um, growing up, um, I started hanging out with the bad kids, you know, ones that would smoke weed and, and smoke and drink and stuff. And so I got doing that at about 12, 13. And that just progressed into meth and, and to other drugs. You know, at certain times in my life going through school, um, I quit and I tried to get on the right path, but I always went back. Um, by the time I was 16, I started heroin, started using heroin. Um, I graduated high school. I'm not sure how I did that, but I did get my high school diploma. Um, even, even though you were using heroin. I did, you know, and I feel like I just skated through. I feel like, you know, I just got passed on and I shouldn't have been, but I did get my high school diploma. Um, you know, and after high school using heroin, I thought it would be a great idea to sign up for college. <laughs> Let's try it and see what happens, you know, thinking that those two would coincide together, which they did not. Um, I ended up uh, choosing heroin over, you know, my career going to college. Um, you know, I got my first charges when I was 18 and it was just in and out of jail and in and out of jail, taking advantage of people. I was so selfish. I would steal anything from anyone, even if it was nailed to the floor, I would still try to do it. And that's just who I became. Um, in and out of jail, huh? What did you want to go to college for? Like, what was your dream back then? Oh. Oh yeah, let me tell you, I wanted to go to pre-law because I would love to have been a lawyer. <laughs> that was a goal of mine and it always had been. And then, you know, I became a heroin addict and that just totally ruled my life. And so I back, to your, back to your story, you're, you're stealing from anything and everyone. Everyone, yeah. Um, taking advantage of my dad and my dad will always was there for me. You know, he didn't have a lot to give me, but he loved me. He hugged me. He told me how proud of me he was. He, he was always there for me. He was my rock. And that's the most person I took advantage of. Um, you know, and I continued doing that in my early twenties, I had two children thinking that that would save me, you know, and take me away from, you know, my addiction and, how selfish was that? You know, DCFS came in and took my kids, rightly so. But at the time, I hated everybody because it was, I was thinking, how could everybody do this to me? That's how selfish I was. You know, how could everyone do this to me? And it was me that was doing it. Um, my kids were taken at the ages of two and one. Um, rightly so, because, you know, I, I was the, the worst mom. I wasn't feeding them. I wasn't taking care of them. You know, I remember when DCFS came and picked them up, I couldn't even find both their shoes. I couldn't even find their bottles. I, I it was such a mess. Um, and that was more reason for me to go into my deep, dark hole. You know, I used that as an excuse to ruin my life with my kids being taken away, you know, and I uh, got kicked out of my apartment, went to jail, in and out of jail. You know, when I would get released, it was just, it was worse than the time before that I went in. Um, in 2015, um, I was incarcerated and um, I remember the last phone call that I had with my dad and I remember telling him, I'm sorry that you have a junkie daughter. I'm sorry that I couldn't be the daughter for you that you needed and that you deserved. You know, and that was the last conversation I had with my dad about a week or two later, my dad ended up passing away. And so mm -hmm. 
you know, and for me, I wanted to, you know, use that as strength to, to, you know, do more with my life and give him the daughter that, you know, he deserved. But as soon as I got out, I was right back to it. That didn't mean anything to me. You know, I just, I was worse. Um, for about a year, I stayed on the street. Um, and then uh, when I was incarcerated in February of 2016, um, another woman had wrote the Other Side Academy. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I couldn't go back out to the streets. I was willing to do whatever it took to not go back out there. And I wrote the Other Side Academy and um, Lola, one uh, uh, managing director who runs the Denver facility came and interviewed me. Now I didn't know she was like me. I knew she was beautiful. I knew what she had, I wanted, I knew that but I just didn't know how to get there. And she came and interviewed me and, you know, she really told me about myself. She told me how selfish I was, how I took advantage of people and the monster I became. And then I got my acceptance letter. They had told me that I was accepted to the other side Academy. You know, it is a two year, uh, basically commitment that you have to commit to, to go to the other side Academy, but that didn't matter to me because I knew I didn't want to go back and be that same person. And so I started my journey at the Other Side Academy. Um, you know, you come in, you sit on the bench and then you get an interview. So you just sit there and it's placed by the door because you can get up and leave at any time. Nobody's forcing you to stay there, but I knew I had to sit there because I really had nowhere else to go. You know, so that kept me there. Um, they accepted me into the home and the family and I made a commitment to myself that I was going to do everything completely different of what I did before. And I was going to listen to these guys. I was going to listen to the rules. I was going to, you know, find personal boundaries, something I'd never had. And I committed to that. And I, I kept my commitment. You know, I did the two years at the other side Academy and I didn't just stay the minimum amount of time. I stayed a third year. So you can stay longer at the other side Academy. If you're not ready to go out and live life on your own, you can stay there until you're ready. But I knew in my heart that I, didn't, I never wanted to leave the Other Side Academy. I knew I wanted to become a staff member and, and just stay helping other people and continuing helping myself. And I stayed a third year, you know, and then I went into my fourth year because I, I didn't want to leave because um, I just loved what was happening with me and helping the other women, you know, start their journey and saving their life. And into my fourth year, they hired me on as a full-time staff member. And I've almost been a staff member now for two years and my life is completely different. You know, I can, um, I can look myself in the mirror and be okay with a woman looking back at me. I don't have that shame and all that guilt anymore. It sucks. It sucks for the things, you know, the choices that I made and the people that I hurt, but that doesn't drag me down anymore. You know, I, I give my dad the daughter he deserves. I live in his name every single day of my life. You know, I always strive to um, do better and be the better me and, and help other people, you know, feel the same way that I feel about myself and my life is great today. You know, it was hard. It was hard and it was uncomfortable, but it's so worth it. So worth it. For people who don't understand, there's, there's uh, several different uh, theories about treatment and treatment centers. And, and the Other Side Academy focuses primarily on a structured life and commitments. If you could, if you could describe the difference between say, say an Odyssey House program where there's a lot of uh, licensed therapists dealing with people and, and group 
sessions and everything with the commitment that you make it at, as I understand the other side Academy, you work your rear end off and you, and you commit to a lot. And the way other side is structured that you, you don't take grant money and you don't take, uh, you know, federal things like that. And you support yourselves through the hard work that all of you do. Can you, yeah. can you just, cause you have businesses going, can you yeah. describe that? Yeah, so we're a profitable nonprofit. So we're a nonprofit organization, but we run businesses inside of the organization that bring in the monthly income. So we have our thrift boutique, the other side thrift boutique, and we have the other side movers. Those are the business vocational training schools that bring in our monthly income. But the students are the ones who run the businesses. And the best thing for me was to have a purpose. And so when you come here and you're part of the solution and not part of the problem ever anymore, and you help run the businesses, people want to be successful, but it also makes it so it can be free for us. So not only are we running the businesses and being self-reliant, but all the money that's made comes back in. So it's free. We don't take the government grants. We don't take state funds. We do not take insurance. We're free. But the reason why we're free is because we run the businesses. So you don't make any money in your pocket, but you're still self-reliant by working and paying for your room and your board and your, and your meals and stuff. There is no free lunch here. We work hard here. So for those that are interested in the Other Side Academy, can you paint the picture what it's like, the actual treatment and what it did for you? Like, how did it help you go from being incarcerated to being this sufficient member in society? Yeah, so, you know, everybody has their job. So you work like from an eight to five. And so that gave me purpose to get up at the same time every day, to go to work, to get along with the people that I'm working with. Cause sometimes I wouldn't get along with people and I would find reasons to not like people, but we find every reason to accept people. So you work well with others. And then after work, after five, you may have other responsibilities, just like normal life. A family has maybe school at night or, you know, soccer practice or whatever. So we have responsibilities at night. So that gave me purpose. But what helped change my life was games. <laughs> that definitely helped change my behaviors of the liar and the deceiver and the manipulator and the thief. So we have a what we call games, but it doesn't really feel like a game. So um, during the workday, maybe I'm having like a bad attitude and somebody just says, Tori, you need to have a better attitude. My response can only be okay because it deflates the situation because a lot of times we would fight, we would you know, talk bad about people or, or whatever that would be. We don't know how to communicate. So somebody addresses the behavior, you just say, okay, deflates the situation. And then on Tuesday and Fridays in games, that person can take me and do a game setting with about 21 of, of the other peers and they can tell me about myself. Tori, you had a bad attitude. I don't know why you're acting like that. You should be grateful. You know, you, should, you have no reason to be that way. And so they address the behavior. And that's what kind of like punches out, kind of beats out the behavior of the, you know, the bad attitudes, the liars, the deceivers, because we come in with all those with all those behaviors, because we've been those people for so long. You know, I was a grumpy person. Um, I was really negative. People didn't, I wasn't fun. I didn't have a personality. And because of games, this is who I am today. Like they've helped me become this better person, this, this better version of myself. But that's where you get a lot of your help is games. We do, we do a lot of the same thing at, at Odyssey House, although we call it something different. And it's, yeah. it's holding people accountable yes. uh, through encounters. And, and most people's reaction, and I'm sure it would have been yours when you were on heroin, is to say, F you, yeah. if somebody said, hey, you've got a bad attitude, you yeah. know, and, 
it's, it's hard to learn how to civilly deal with somebody calling you out for what you need to be called out for. Absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard to hear sometimes. And sometimes you want to fight back. But if you can just listen to the other person and respect what they're bringing you and maybe sleep on it that night and wake up the next morning to try to be a different person, it is a game changer. I do. Uh, I, I facilitate a, a family support group for, for loved ones of addicts. And, and I always bring up our conversations that we, that we do in these podcasts because a lot of the parents of loved ones of addicts can't understand how you could possibly, you, you talk about your father with pure love and that he was such a strong support, yet you wouldn't think twice about stealing from him. You wouldn't think twice about letting your little kids go to DCFS and, and, and lose them. How is, how is the draw of addiction so strong that you get to that point? It's just easier that way. You know, it was easier to push people away and make myself the victim uh, to really then to lean into it and stop what I was doing. I lost my way. I, you know, I was raised the right way. I was raised with morals and values. And I just lost that along the way to where that didn't mean anything to me anymore. My, my children did not mean anything to me and neither did my dad. Nothing did, not even myself, you know, That's the power of substances, yeah. you know, like they can completely come into your life and take away everything that truly matters to you. Absolutely. Well, what you, you must have had some conversations with your dad throughout your your struggling times when when you were caught doing all these things. What what you know? He, he said, "Tori, what what in the hell is going on with you?" What, I mean, how did you explain things to him? You know, I tried to hide it for a long time, but looking back at it, I think my dad knew what was going on. He just didn't know how to address it himself. I think he was trying to help me in his own way, and I would you know even if I was caught red-handed, I would lie. I would manipulate. And when he would try to, you know, talk to me about it, I made myself the victim again and I would leave. I would push myself out of the situation so I didn't have to be held accountable on my behaviors. It was easier. It became easy for me. What happens with the other side? Because all treatment centers and, all, and, and organizations like yours is you have problems with people trying to smuggle in dope or using again and things like that. What happens at the other side if somebody violates those rules? Yeah, so at the other side academy, um, we have a, um, somebody always has to have a accountability partner. So usually everybody's always in twos or threes or a group of people. So that doesn't happen a lot at the other side academy. But if it does, we hold each other to such a high standard that we notice it. So if we notice that somebody's using or somebody's, you know, acting differently, there's always a UA that's given um, and they're expelled. They're usually expelled. You know, sometimes we'll bring them back in and re-interview them, but that's not always the case, but. Regarding, so you have the moving company. And so a lot of times coming from incarceration there, you don't have IDs or driver's license. Mm -hmm. So how do, how do you, how at the other side academy, do you set that up for success for people to get their ID and be a part of the moving company? 
Yeah. So on the moving company, everybody has to have, you know, an ID. And so we just put them on a list and then we have a, our, um, somebody that's over like our driving council and they set them up with the DMV to go and get that. As time goes on, you always get your credentials, at least an ID. We always try to get everybody their license. Sometimes it's a really big amount of money. And so sometimes everything's earned here. And so maybe that might not happen right off the bat, but as time goes on and they earn that, then we get their license for them. But everybody has an ID. And and I've heard good things about your moving company that they do they do a great job. I've seen yeah. I've seen reviews where people say, hey, they, they do a really good job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have great reviews. You know, these guys go in with high integrity level. You know, they're not on their phones, they're not taking breaks, they're basically running things in, a, in the house and running out of the house to just try to get the job done. You know, sometimes people are struggling and going through a hard time. And sometimes our movers just listen, listen to the things they're going through because moving stressful and we try to make it an as easy and as calming, you know, situation for the, for the customer as possible. Absolutely. I know that I personally use the other side movers a couple of times. And when I've called, you guys are just on it. Like you definitely make me feel that, I, that I'm worthy and that I deserve help in going through like transitions in my life. And so I definitely am a fan Absolutely. of the other side movers for sure. All, all three of us are in recovery. What, what, and you've, you've, you've made a miraculous recovery describing where you were and where you are now. What kind of advice, and we have people watching, you know, parents of loved ones, we have people who maybe are thinking about recovery, people in recovery. What kind of advice would you give people about, uh, about trying to do the recovery route, however you, you know, yeah. however you want to do it? Just do it. You know, you've got to make the decision to change your life. It's, it's uncomfortable. And sometimes we're going to say that it's hard, but it's worth it. You know, to go from that lifestyle to a different lifestyle, it's a big change, but you've got to make the decision. We're all grown adults here and we all want a good life, but you actually have to fight for it. It doesn't just not just going to fall in your lap, but you have to do it, whether it's the 12 step program, whether it's Odyssey, whether it's Foothill in Utah County, it doesn't matter. You've just got to fight for your life. People are dying. People are losing their minds out there and it's really sad. If someone wanted to enter the Other Side Academy, how would they do that? Yeah, so they can come in and take a seat on the bench um, if they're not incarcerated, if they're just on the street. We ask everybody to come in sober because we are not a detox facility. So they need to come in off the street sober. Don't bring anything with you. Uh, we provide everything for everyone. Uh, you know, their clothing, their food, their hygiene, all of that. But if they're in jail, they can go, go ahead and give us a call. There's flyers probably in every jail in the state of Utah. Um, and, or they can write us a letter asking for help and we'll go in and interview them. But we also do phone interviews. So if they call, they just need some money because we don't accept collect calls, but we'll do a phone interview as well. And I'm telling you, if we accept you, we fight for you to get to the other side Academy. Our legal department is on the phone with public defenders, prosecutors, judges, all the time to fight for that person to come here. People don't realize that when you're sitting in jail and you're just sitting there, how many people are really fighting for you on the outside? Yeah, I understand that. What are some, so if somebody was just on the streets, they could walk in anytime to sit on the bench. What are some things that could keep someone from coming into the other side? Yeah, so um, 
we are not doctors, clinicians, or therapists, so we're not a medical facility. You know, we're just drug addicts who are further removed, who have gotten our life together. And so if you're on a dual diagnosis and you take psychiatric medication, not saying that we're not going to accept you, but we want to talk about it. That is something that can stop you from coming. If you need your medication, we would never tell anyone to get off their medication if they need it. Um, but a lot of times, like myself, I was on antidepressants. I was on, you know, bipolar medication and I didn't need that. I just needed to be around successful people in positive places around positive people. So we would have that conversation at the time that they came in. Um, we don't take um, arsonists, uh, murderers or sex offenders either. Yeah. What would you, uh, how would you, Rachel and I have shared this many times. I'm sure you have with other people as well. Describe the difference when you're in active addiction to being in recovery now in terms of the kind of person you are and the way you feel mentally and everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can describe that. I hated myself. I could not even look myself in the mirror because of all the shame and the guilt, you know, that I had because of the destruction that I had caused. I hated who I was. I hated me so much. And today, looking back on it, like I never thought my life would be where it is. Not only do I feel good about myself, I have self-esteem, I have self-worth, I stand for something and I have personal boundaries and nobody's gonna come into my personal boundaries because I'll tell them, <laughs> I don't like that, don't do that. You know, I, I, I stand for something and I stand for myself. You know, I, I have a job, I pay my bills, I, I have a car, I'm in a great relationship with somebody who's at the same level as I am that demands respect and that I demand respect from, which, you know, I've never had that in a relationship. You know, I have friends today. I don't have accomplices today. A complete difference. <laughs> Our, go go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead, Rach. I just wanted to tell you that you're incredibly beautiful and strong, and I appreciate you being willing to share your experience with us. I have a, a, a question um, regarding your children. Yes. Have you been in contact? Do you plan to be in contact? And I, I hope this isn't too sensitive of a subject, but us mothers that have, you know, lost our children or given rights away, I think it's an important subject to talk about. Yeah. Would you mind just briefly kind of sharing where you're at with that? Yeah, so it's been um, eight years uh, since my kids were taken away from me. Um, been getting my life together for about five years. And it was like, you know, I debated with myself of when's the time to reach out to their parents. Uh, they are family members, you know, but I have to mend that relationship with the parents because I hurt them too. It's not even about the kids right now. It's about mending that relationship with the people who took on two children two children that had issues, you know, they're in, they were in therapy, they acted out, you know, even at two and one. And, you know, I had a battle with myself of, was I going to do that or not? And I chose to reach out to the mom. Um, it's only been a couple months. Uh, we text back and forth. Um, she played the game with me. You know, she told me about myself and there's going to be more conversations about her telling me about myself, but because I've been at the other side Academy with people telling me about myself, I'm easier to say, I understand that okay, I'm not defensive with her. I, I'm not, I have no right to, you know, she took on two young children. And um, so she's been talking to me a little bit. It's a slow process. You can't just rush into something like that. I have no right. They are not my children, nor, do, nor am I ever going to be their mom. They have a mom and a dad. Um, it's emotional to kind of go through it because I, I could only expect what they've all been through. But when she told me, it was hard to hear. 
it, it was hard to hear what I put those kids through and the issues that they have today, even, even being eight years older, they, they still have issues because of the things that I did to them. And, um, it's a, it's a reality that I have to swallow and that I have to take on, but, um, I'm starting the relationship with the mom. At least she's given me, she's given me that opportunity. So let me ask you, you, you said something at the beginning. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left here and I've always wondered about this. I wasn't part of the in crowd when I was in junior high or whatever. Uh, I don't know about you, Rachel, but I, wasn't, I definitely related. Like I feel like the outcast. Well, does sure. that, do you think that's a significant factor in what determined your, your drug use and things like that? Um, I think so. Because sometimes, you know, I would try to be with like the in crowd or the popular kids or maybe sign up for dance or something, what kind of like the cool kids were doing. And I wasn't accepted, like they accepted each other. And so I felt outcasted, you know, as a kid, you don't really know how to push yourself into that uncomfortability that you deserve that, you know, and kids are mean, you know, they put you in your place and they say mean things. And not only did that happen to me, but I did it to, to other kids too, you know, and you know, they separated me, but I also separated myself. But I, I think that was a big factor. I, th I think that was a big factor. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I'm, ju I'm just wondering in a preventative, from a preventative standpoint, if it would make more sense, if we focus a lot more on kids at, at that age to try to yeah. get to them. So, so it does. So what, what you did doesn't happen to them. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times I was going through a lot of things and I didn't talk about it. I was questioning things. I was confused on things. And instead of talking about it with somebody, I kept it in. Um, I think at that age, you know, going through, you know, your teenage years and stuff like that or preteen, you should talk about things. I think it's really important for a child if they're confused with things. A lot of times, maybe you're confused with your sexuality or questioning things that other kids are doing. They're just not talking about it. And I think it's really important to do that. You are, we are out of time. That was a quick 30 minutes. <laughs> yes, uh, you are, you are a wonderful speaker and you relate for it for not being able to share very well when you were in junior high, you sure have learned to now. Yes, you know? I this. Thank you so much. I appreciate this opportunity with both of you. Well, thank you for being vulnerable and being able to share parts of you. Um, it's a, it's an honor for myself and Randall and for all the viewers. And so basically just thank you for being you. Absolutely, Rachel. You know, you've I've known you for a few years now, and not only you know have you seen me grow, but I've watched you grow as well to the woman that you are today. And I want to say thank you, you know, for being a part of my life. Thank you. It's an honor. Tori, Rachel, thank you, and thank you all of you out there who are watching or listening. Hope you tune in next week for another edition of Odyssey House Journals. Mm -hmm.